Hello, and welcome to the Dance Physio Podcast, a podcast designed to explore ideas and foster discussion around dancer health and wellness. We're here to challenge the status quo, bridge the gap between dance science and the studio, and help change the landscape of the dance industry for the better. I'm your host, Erica Mayall, a dancer turned physiotherapist who is deeply passionate about leaving the dance world better than I found it. I'm so glad you're here. Let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Dance Physio Podcast. Thanks so much for being here. Today, we are going to talk about dance conditioning or cross-training, or sometimes it's called supplementary training. It's called all sorts of different things. I'm actually going to break down some of the terminology, and these terms tend to be used interchangeably, but they're actually different. So we're going to dive into that a bit today and sort of break down these terms and what it is that we're talking about. But first of all, before we get into that, I just want to talk a little bit about why it is important to incorporate, I'm going to call it conditioning just for right now, into our dance training programs. So Something that we hear often from dancers and from teachers is that often they struggle to incorporate conditioning into their training program because of time constraints is usually the first thing, especially when we talk to dancers about this and they sort of say, well, I'm already dancing X number of hours a week. I don't have time to devote to more training on top of that. And even when I talk with young dancers, if I'm asking them if they're participating in other sports or activities outside of dance, generally the answer is no. And it usually comes down to time. It's usually a time factor and their parents will sort of say, oh yeah, when they were little, they used to you know, play soccer or whatever it was, but then dance kind of took over and now they don't have time for those sorts of things. And when we talk to teachers, oftentimes time is also cited as a reason for not necessarily um, incorporating this into their dance training. There's just not enough hours. Dancers are already training a lot of hours. Teachers are already feeling a little bit time-strapped in terms of being able to accomplish everything they need to do in class, whether that's syllabus work or whether that's setting choreography, cleaning choreography for preparing for competitions, rehearsing for shows, all of those types of things. And people just find it really difficult to find time in the schedule to sort of fit that in. The other thing sort of that we hear, and more so from teachers than from dancers, is, well, we never did that when I was dancing. And so that's true. When I was growing up dancing, we certainly did not incorporate any kind of cross-training or conditioning outside of our regular dance classes. And some of our classes, especially technique classes, would have a small element of that usually in the warm-up kind of integrated into the class, but we didn't do anything outside of that. And so this is something we hear really commonly from teachers is, well, we've never done that. And so um, them just not necessarily seeing a need or a reason to change that. But as we've talked about on other uh, podcast episodes, and as most of you probably know, the physical demands of dance have changed fairly significantly in the last few years. So it is not the same as when I was dancing um, back when I was a teenager or, you know, other people who were dancing 20, 30 years ago. The physical demands have increased exponentially. And so the way we train and what we are doing for training needs to change as well. So if we look at why is conditioning or cross-training important for dancers, We know from research that dance class alone is not sufficient to elicit physiological changes in the body. I'll say that again. 
dance class alone does not elicit physiological changes within the body. And there's two parameters that are sort of probably the most well-researched or there's the most supporting evidence for that. And one of them is cardiovascular fitness and the other one is strength. So when we look at dancers and study what it is we are asking them to do, and um, some of this research, especially the cardiovascular fitness research, they are looking at what performance demands are. So what do dancers need to be able to do on stage in a performance, and where is their current cardiovascular fitness? And we find that dancers actually train far below what their performance demands are, and their cardiovascular fitness is actually below what their performance demands are. So we know that they are not actually increasing their cardiovascular fitness through dance class alone. So let that sink in for a second. And then we also know that strength demands in dancers, performance demands exceed what dancers' current strength capabilities are. And again, from the research, we know that dance class is not sufficient to elicit increases or improvements in strength gains in most dancers. And this is not necessarily surprising if we understand a little bit of sort of exercise physiology or basic human physiology, because in order for muscles to improve or increase in strength, we need to continually be demanding more out of them. And so an kind of easy example of this is if we go to the gym and we lift a 10 pound weight and we're doing, I don't know, a 10 pound bicep curl, and we do that every day or, you know, consistently, let's say, so a few days a week really consistently, at first we might actually improve strength. If that 10 pounds exceeds what your current physical capabilities are, you're going to improve in your strength. But at some point, your body's going to adapt to that load, you're going to meet that strength demand, and then you're not going to continue to see those physiological adaptations. In order to continue to improve strength in your bicep curl, you would need to continue to increase the load or increase that weight. So go from 10 pounds to, I don't know, say 15 pounds to 20 pounds and continually improve that. And I think we understand that generally from like a strength training sort of perspective. But when we think about what we're doing in this studio with dance, we don't necessarily have those progressive overloads that are happening. And so certainly as dancers progress through and when they're younger and if they're increasing their skill level and stuff, we might see some increases in strength and we do see increases in strength. But at a certain level, we're no longer creating that demand that's eliciting those strength responses with dance steps or like dance movements alone. And so we know that we need to train this outside of a dance studio setting. And so like I said, our dance class classes alone are not sufficient for improving on our physical capabilities. That needs to be happening outside of the studio in some sort of other setting. And so that's where these sort of ideas or principles of conditioning or cross-training come into play. So there is a difference between what we call cross-training and what we call, or I sort of term, supplementary training, or sometimes you'll hear it called supplemental training. Some people will just call it dance conditioning. It gets called all sorts of different things. And that's what I want to differentiate um, today and talk about sort of the differences between the two and the purposes of both of those. 
So when we talk about cross-training, that is participating uh, in an activity that is using different muscle groups and different movement patterns than what we would typically see in dance. And so this could be a huge variety of different things. This could be uh, running, this could be swimming, this could be cycling, this could be team sports like soccer or baseball, and this could be strength training in a gym setting. It really encompasses a huge variety of different activities as long as we are using different muscle groups in different movement patterns. And that's the key with cross-training. And generally, the goals with cross-training are we want to increase fitness. And so like I stated before, the two areas we're most interested in with dancers are increasing their cardiovascular fitness and increasing their strength because those are the two areas we know that they sort of lack behind in terms of their performance. We also use cross-training to minimize injuries. There's been lots of research done in terms of looking at, and not just in dance, this again comes a little bit from sports science research, but cross-training cross-training is an important component of injury reduction or minimizing injury risk. We can't prevent all injuries like we've talked about on previous episodes, but if we're looking at minimizing injury risk, cross-training is a super important component of that. And one of the reasons for that is that cross-training helps us prevent muscle imbalances that might develop if we're constantly using the same muscle groups in the same movement patterns. So a good example for this in dance is that generally when we dance, we dance in turnout. And so this is, of course, not true for all genres of dance. But when we think about sort of Western styles of dance and things that are based in like ballet and jazz and things like that, we have that turnout or external rotation component of things. And if we're all moving in those movement patterns, we are going to overuse certain muscles and potentially underuse other muscles and create these imbalances within our body. So if we are then looking to sort of prevent or improve these muscle imbalances, we want to be training in different movement patterns. So really when we're looking at dancers specifically, we really want dancers to be doing cross training that is not in a turned out position. So when I have dancers coming into the clinic, one of the first things that I look at with pretty much every dancer that walks through the door, no matter what their injury is, is can this dancer do a squat in parallel? And you would be surprised, or maybe you wouldn't be, but the number of dancers who are unable to do a just regular squat in a parallel position. And so all sorts of um, kind of movement patterns will show up in that. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that they're so used to being in a rotated position or other um, sort of little movement screens that we'll use is just doing rises in parallel, like a single leg uh, rise in parallel or single leg hops in parallel, you'll often see dancers naturally want to start turning out while they're doing that because they're trying to use muscles that they're more used to using in dance, and they're maybe not as strong in the muscles that we would be using to do that in a more parallel position. So that's a huge part of that sort of minimizing injury risk is really addressing and preventing these muscle imbalances through cross-training. And then one of the other really big kind of benefits or bonuses of cross-training is decreasing burnout. So 
We know dancers train huge amounts of hours, and burnout is a real thing, and especially when we have dancers who um, participate in solely dance, and especially from an early age, so that early sports specialization, that burnout is one of the sort of risk factors for them. And so if we're participating in other movement activities and other movement patterns, we can actually help to prevent some of that burnout with a good cross-training program. So like I said, cross-training, we want to be using different muscle groups in different movement patterns than what we are typically using in our dance class. So really, it's any activity that doesn't really look like dance. And so oftentimes that is going to be dancers working in much more parallel type positions. Contrasting to that, we have what I often refer to as supplementary training or supplemental training. And this is a type of dance conditioning, but generally we are using similar muscle groups to how they are used in dance. And I'll explain this a little bit more in a second. Um, So these are, yeah, sort of conditioning programs that are going to look a lot more similar to dance. And the goal of these programs is to supplement or enhance your strength or mobility or flexibility of the same muscle groups that you are using in dance. So programs that people are often really familiar with in the dance world are things like the PBT or the progressing ballet technique, or um, there's a whole bunch of these different programs out there. There's conditioning with imagery. There's the, um, oh, I'm blanking on names of other ones, but you'll see plenty of these programs online that are conditioning programs that are designed specifically for dancers. And there's certainly nothing wrong with these programs. And if you have a dancer who, you know, maybe needs to improve whether it be strength or mobility in some dance specific patterns, these programs can be excellent for that. And there's a reason why these programs have been really popular and really taken off. But we need to recognize that these programs do not fulfill some of the other goals of cross-training programs with that sort of preventing muscle imbalances and minimizing injury risk and things like that. So it's not that you know, one type of conditioning is better than the other necessarily, like cross training is not necessarily superior to supplementary training, but we need to know what the difference is and we need to know when we are choosing and using which type of a conditioning program. So what I see commonly in the dance world, and especially when I'm working with dancers and we're looking at their program and sort of trying to decide, okay, do you have enough kind of conditioning within your program is they may have some conditioning built into their training program, but it is very, very often supplementary training based. And so maybe they have a PBT class at their studio, or maybe it's just a dance conditioning class that their teachers run. Or like I sort of said earlier, maybe it is um, implemented into their dance warm up, but generally these programs are going to look very similar to dance and going to be very dance specific. And so when we actually break down and look at dancers' programs, it's quite common that dancers are missing cross training. So they might be doing conditioning, but they're often not doing cross training. They're not doing sort of programs that are using different movement patterns and different muscle groups. And it's really important that dancers are implementing cross cross-training into their program and not just using supplementary training. So again, it's not that one is better than the other, but it's we need to make sure that we have a cross-training component because it has benefits that we don't find from those supplementary training programs. So that's sort of the difference between the two. 
one of the questions I often get asked is where do things like yoga or Pilates or things like that fall into these paradigms? So, you know, are those cross training or are those supplementary training? And the answer is a little bit of it depends. So it really often depends on who is teaching the program and what the goal of the program is. So Pilates, for example, I'm just going to use that as an example, has become really, really popular within the dance world um, because I think it often feels quite similar to dance movements and feels familiar within a dancer's body. And a lot of dancers like this as sort of like a strengthening component or as um, like a supplementary training program. And it really comes down to like, who is it being taught by and what is the intention? Because we can participate in Pilates and whether that's, you know, apparatus based, like using reformers and things, or whether it's mat based, and you can participate in a Pilates session that looks very, very, very much like dance. And it can be in a lot of rotation and using a lot of the same movement patterns and all of these sorts of things. And we would consider that supplementary training. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. And a lot of dancers really benefit from addressing some areas of potentially, you know, strength imbalances or things like that. But it's also possible to design a Pilates session in a way that is much more cross-training based. So if you, again, this sort of comes down to working with dance-specific practitioners, like we alluded to back in one of the earlier episodes, if you have somebody who truly understands dance and you are like there because you really want to work on a cross-training component and you really want to address muscle imbalances or work in different movement patterns, you can absolutely participate in a Pilates session that is designed to be more cross-training based. So that question is often hard to answer when we're looking at programs like you know, yoga or Pilates, because I think it often comes down to who it's being taught by and what their intention with it is. So it very much could be supplementary training, or it very much could be cross training if that is the intention with the program. Um, I often get asked what, you know, the quote unquote, best cross training for dancers is. And that's a tough question to answer because realistically, the best cross training is going to be something that the dancer enjoys doing. And sometimes that's hard to find with dancers because dancers will say, I don't like anything except for dance. I don't like team sports. I don't like running. I don't like, you know, all of those types of kind of your typical or classic cross training. So realistically, the best cross training is going to be something that they enjoy so that they stick with it consistently. If we, you know, sort of put that aside or dancers are kind of like, oh, I just like any movement or, you know, things like that, then really strength training and sort of traditional kind of probably gym-based strength training is really probably the most important part of cross-training because like I was sort of stating earlier, when we actually look at the research and look at, okay, where are dancers lacking in physical capabilities, strength is a huge component of that. There's all sorts of reasons why strength training is important, not just for dancers, but for the general population and stuff as well. And so if we can really introduce and um, sort of promote strength training within dancers, that is going to also be sort of a really important part of cross-training. But again, if we can just get dancers participating in something that is not dance that they kind of enjoy and will stick with, that's a really good place to start. So maybe that is another team sport. Maybe they're playing soccer in addition to dance. And maybe that's just where we have to start with them in terms of implementing cross-training. 
The sort of last thing I want to touch on before we wrap this episode up is recommendations for sort of implementing cross-training into the program. So this is something I get asked often, and this comes back to that sort of barrier of dancers often don't have time. And so it's, you know, where do I fit this into my schedule? How much of this do I need to be doing is like the question that often comes up. And we have different recommendations based on sort of the different ages of dancers and different levels that they're dancing at. So the general recommendations, and of course, this is going to vary depending on the dancer and styles of dance they're doing and things like that. But for younger dancers, so I usually say sort of like under the age of 10 or 10 and under, we don't necessarily need to be implementing a really specific cross-training program into their dance training, but we want to continue to encourage those dancers to participate in a large variety of activities. So this comes down to that sort of like, you know, early sports specialization um, um, sort of lens. And we really want young kids to be having a variety of movement experiences. And sometimes this can be prohibitive in dance. And so studios, depending on their schedule and the studio culture, might actually not really want kids participating in other activities because then, you know, it interferes with their dance schedule or things like that. But really, we really want to encourage young dancers to be participating in a large variety of activities or in, um, different movement patterns. So again, they don't necessarily need to be doing a really specific type of cross-training, but just encouraging participation in other activities. If you have younger dancers and they, you know that you have, say, a group of dancers who aren't participating in other activities or their other activities maybe all are fairly similar to dance. So sometimes we have dancers who also cheer or things like that. And so it's like, okay, well, those movements are like fairly similar in a lot of ways. You can absolutely implement cross-training into young dancers' schedules. So we get asked a lot of questions about like, well, how young is too young? And honestly, I don't think there is a too young age. Like we can absolutely be promoting different movement patterns and different um, muscle activations in young kids. And oftentimes young kids are almost better at it because if we think about like fundamental movement patterns, like crawling and jumping and things like that, kids do those naturally when they're really little. And then we lose those as we sort of like silo ourselves into specific movement patterns. And so if we just continue to encourage those sort of fundamental movement patterns when kids are little, we can actually make that cross-training become just kind of a natural part of their movement repertoire. So those would be for your younger kids, so kind of 10 and under. And then we have our kids who are between the ages of sort of 10-ish, and then I sort of say up to like adolescent growth spurt. So, you know, maybe 13, but it really depends on the dancers or the group of dancers. And those dancers, we want to be um, usually having them participate in generally between two and three hours of cross-training per week. And so that's a little bit based on the fact that we generally don't want those dancers training more than 15 hours a week. And I'll actually do a separate podcast episode on sort of training load and load management in dancers, and we'll get more specifically into kind of training load recommendations. But if we're just thinking about the cross-training aspect of things, then for that age group, it's usually two to three hours a week of sort of cross-training. And it doesn't have to be, you know, one-hour sessions. Um, I know a studio that really successfully implemented like 30 minutes a day over five 
five days of the week. And so it was their first 30 minutes every day was kind of cross training. And so all of a sudden, you know, you do that five days a week and you have two and a half hours of cross training that's just built into their schedule while the students are at the studio and it was being taught by sort of a uh, strength and conditioning coach. So there's lots of different ways that you can implement it, but generally two to three hours for that age group. And then we have our dancers who sort of say, you know, 14 and up, but often again, it's more like after their adolescent growth spurt. So, um, you know, 13, 14, depending on the dancers and that group of dancers you have, um, right the way up into like adult and professional dancers. We generally want to have an hour of cross training for every five hours of training. So again, if your dancers are training about 15 hours a week, they'd be looking at three hours of cross training on top of that. If you have dancers that are training 20 hours a week, we want to look at four hours, you know, 25 hours a week would be five hours and so on. So depending on what level dancers are dancing at. With that being said, we also need to keep in mind those principles of periodization that we talked about on the last episode. So if you haven't listened to that, um, I encourage you to go back, listen to the episode on periodization, because we also want to think about, especially during that in-season, that's when we want to be balancing our dance load with our sort of cross-training load. So if it is, you know, the weeks leading up to Nutcracker, which it is right now, I'm recording this kind of in the later parts of November. So, you know, right now, rehearsals and things like that are probably ramping up, that cross-training or conditioning might be backing off just a little bit. And sometimes that means less hours of that. And sometimes that just means less intensity. So keeping up those, you know, whether it be four hours or five hours, but a little bit less intense. And then, you know, after Nutcracker ends and we have a little bit of a Christmas break coming back in January, maybe the dance load eases off a little bit and we up that cross-training load again. So we always want to keep in mind that balance of sort of our training load versus our cross-training load during our various parts of like that cycle with periodization. So these recommendations for like implementing cross-training really aren't concrete and they're always going to be a little bit fluid because it's based a bit on what's happening with that dancer's actual dance load or training load um, throughout the season. So that's where I'm going to wrap things up with regards to kind of cross-training, supplementary training, implementing conditioning into a dancer's program. In terms of like the main takeaway, really what I hope everybody takes away from this episode is that we need to be implementing these conditioning programs or these training programs outside or in addition to our dancers dance training program. So dancers are not actually getting adequate stimulus within their dance class alone to be able to perform at their peak physical potential. And so we need to be adding these in. And there's lots of different ways that that can look. And it doesn't all have to look the same at every studio and with every dancer. But we definitely want to be including these, not just for injury prevention, but also so our dancers can be dancing at their fullest potential and to the best of their ability. So I'm going to wrap things up there. Um, If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to me. You can DM me. You can email me. The information is in the show notes. And if you liked this episode, please consider sharing it with a teacher or another dancer who you think might find it helpful. And I would love it if you would um, rate the podcast and leave a review if you're so inclined. And thank you so much for listening. 